Okay, today's a hot day, so inshallah we'll try to make it a little shorter. Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah, الذي هدانا سبولنا. Alhamdulillah, الذي هدانا. Alhamdulillah, رب العالمين. وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله. الملك القدوس. السلام المؤمن المهيمن العزيز الجبار المتكبر سبحان الله عما يشركون وأشهد أن سيدنا ومولانا وحبيبنا محمد صلى الله عليه وآله وسلم عبد الله ورسوله وصفيه وخليله من يطع الله ورسوله وأولي الأمر من المؤمنين فلا مضل له ومن يعص الله ورسوله وأولي الأمر من المؤمنين فلا هادي له اللهم اجعلنا من الذين يستمعون القول فيت Dear committed Muslims, as you may know, the Zionists have virtually taken control of Al Masjid Al Aqsa in a more direct and confrontational way and this has been going on for a week now and there's been calls by Muslims around the world to try to support the Muslims in Al-Quds and in Palestine in these types of circumstances and unfortunately if we have to look at the facts and face reality we find that the Muslims around the world are reacting on an occasion like this and they are reacting from a position of relative weakness and that should not be most of the Muslims of the world are just like the Muslims in Al-Quds in Palestine they come from the Sunni tradition and I want to caution you who are going to be listening to this khutbah that if you understand the word Sunni with a sectarian meaning or if you understand the word Shi'i with a sectarian meaning this khutbah doesn't belong to you it's better for you to tune off and turn away we are using these words to describe a condition in history not to describe people and their shortcomings and misunderstandings we're looking at it as a development of our own history so 
the majority of Muslims in the world are Sunnis and the majority of the Palestinians are Sunnis and Al-Masjid Al-Haram excuse me Al-Masjid Al-Aqsa is located in that context what the Israeli Zionists are doing are basic in Palestine in Al-Quds in Al-Masjid Al-Aqsa has basically is basically an affront in the immediate sense of the word to those who are Sunnis and now we have a call that is going out from officials in Sunni countries from religious institutions in Sunni countries from religious scholars who are Sunnis who are saying that something has to be done concerning this attack and virtual confiscation by the Zionist Israelis of Al-Masjid Al-Aqsa and truly something has to be done but something has to be done that is substantial not a timely reactionary issue something has to be done that can be sustained we don't want to live a flare-up of a few days or a few weeks and then we return to our positions of defeat from where we began so it becomes on this occasion a healthy dose of self-criticism to take a look to take a hard look at this issue our reference as always is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and his beloved prophet prophet may Allah's peace and blessings be upon him and his Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says concerning Bani Israel لَتُفْسِدُنَّ فِي الْأَرْضِ مَرَّتَيْنِ وَلَتَعْلُنَّ عُلُوًا كَبِيرًا You will emphatically cause corruption on a global scale twice this, this, these words are speaking about Bani Israel and you Bani Israel are going to reach a position of unprecedented heights in the affairs of the world it's an ayah the, these ayat when they were looked at by previous mufassirin those mufassirun they didn't live in our time they didn't see what Banu Israel are doing now. They spoke about the corruption and the instability and the mischief and the chaos that was caused by Bani Israel in the times that preceded them. Whether they were Mufassirin at the turn of the last century or whether they were Mufassirin at the turn of the last millennium 
But now we have a development that had, has placed Bani Israel in a position to qualify for the second time in world history in which they are going to have a position to, uh, to influence the affairs of the world. Obviously, they're trying to do it to their interest and their benefit. لَتُفْسِدُنَّ فِي الْأَرْضِ مَرَّتَيْنِ وَلَتَعْلُنَّ عُلُوًّا كَبِيرًا That's number one. Number two. Allah, in the same surah, Surah Bani Israel, Surah Al-Isra, He says, فَإِذَا جَاءَ وَعْدُ أُولَاهُمَا بَعَثْنَا عَلَيْكُمْ عِبَادًا لَنَا أُلِي بَأْسٍ شَدِيدٍ when the first time you, Bani Israel, when your first time of worldwide control, so to speak, comes to pass, we will send against you, in today's language, we're going to dispatch against you, Ibadan Lana. This is the only time in the Quran. The combination of these two words exist. Ibadan lana. The word ibad exists many times. The word lana exists many times in the Quran. But the combination of these two words, it only exists here. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying that subjects belonging to Him, and you belong to Allah when you belong to his prophets when you belong to his scriptures that's when you belong to him so the first time when was the first time then unlike what you'll find in the tafsir books and all of this they speak about nebuchadnezzar and they speak about babylonia and they speak about persia and some of them speak about the Byzantines and the Romans and all of this. But these were not ibadan lana. So from a Quranic viewpoint, from understanding the Prophet in history, we discount that tafsir. So who are ibadan lana? Who are these who Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala through them brought to an end the first status of Bani Israel when they were just like they are today in con trying to be in control of many things in many places at many times. Those were the followers of Allah's Prophet. Ibadan Lana. Those were the generation of Allah's Prophet. They put an end to the influence of Bani Israel in Al-Madina. They put an end to the influence of Bani Israel in Jazirat Al-Arab, in the Arabian Peninsula. They put, they followed that up by putting an end to the influence and control of Bani Israel in the Holy Land. It's called today Palestine. When Al-Quds was liberated by that generation of Muslims. That was the first time. The second time around, it's going to be the same thing. 
It's not going to be some superpower who's going to knock the Israelis off of their occupation and colonization. It's not going to be that. It's going to be ibadan lana. And these ibadun lana are the continuation of the first segment of this history. It should be helpful to understand that Bani Israel, they carry within them a psychological inability to fight. Don't fall victim to the mainstream media and think that these have weapons and they have armed forces and they have militaries and they have satellites and they have nuclear weapons and all of this. Don't be fooled by that. Yeah, they have material things. But the human being behind these material things is an inferior human being. And they proved that. They proved it in the days of Musa. اذهب أنت وربك فقاتلا إنها هنا قاعدون They told Musa, you go, you and your sustainer, you do the fighting. We're staying here. We're sitting right where we are. They proved it. They proved it in the days of Allah's Prophet. The cowards, Banu and Nadir, Banu Qaynuqa, Banu Quraidha in Al-Madinah. The way they fought the Muslims was through the Arabian Mushriks. They couldn't fight face to face, body to body, and they lost. They didn't put up, a f they fought through the Byzantines against the Muslims, and they lost. And should we mention here that it could have been their influence at that time, this is, this is a gap in history, but it could have been through the Yahudi influence at that time that we had our tragic Karbala. Now, to go back, we need some filling information, some information that is absent. We have to bring it to our mind and conscience. Today, when the Muslims are trying to mobilize for the issue of Al-Quds, Why haven't they mobilized against the supportive systems of the colonizing force in Al-Quds? And I'm not talking about just today. I'm talking about from way back then, beginning with the Umawis. Why haven't the Muslims mobilized to check the aggression of the Umawis, beginning with Muawiyah and Yazid. We don't want to go back to history books because history books conflict. We want to use now foresight. Look back at it. We don't live in those days. We're 1,400 years past those days. Why aren't these Muslims who call themselves Sunnis and we're not speaking about the average person. Average person 
has been brainwashed. We're speaking about those who have power and those who are supposed to have knowledge. Why don't they take a look back and say, wait a minute here. The Umawis were a dynasty that was wrong. You have 1,400 years now and you have the leisure of taking a hard look at these issues and say Muawiyah and Yazid were wrong. If you can begin to do that, you can begin to wake up and look at what's happening in today's real world. The Muslims of today who are preached to, addressed, to react to what's happening in Al-Quds, these types of Muslims have not been able to conjure enough courage to look at the fact that the Muslims, they generated opposition to regimes that went in the wrong direction. The acquiescence, today's Muslims who have, and I'm speaking about rulers and scholars, today's Muslims who have acquiesced to oppression and injustice are following the Umawi tradition, Sunnah Umawiyah. They have not kindled in the minds of the public the fact that Muslims have a history of opposition to dynasties that have gone wayward. Beginning with, there's other chapters, but we'll take what we consider some of the main chapters. Beginning with the heroic opposition to Yazid that ended in the calamity, what is called the tragedy of Karbala. That's part of our history. There's no Sunni Shi'i here to interfere with this history. There's no, you come across, interact with other Muslims, just the average Sunni Muslim, interact with them. Ask them, are you an Umawi? Are you a Abbasi? And the other types of dynasties we have, you can go down the line. Are you any of that? have them begin to think. When a Muslim Sunni can figure out for him or herself, I'm not an Umawi, I'm not an Abbasi, then we can begin to have the seeds of opposition to this Zionist regime now that has recruited the Umawis and the Abbasis of our time. Why is it that in the Sunni context we don't have the examples of Al-Imam Al-Khumayni or the example of Hassan Nasrullah 
just two figures. Why don't we have their equivalents in the Sunni context? It's a legitimate question. If you take a thinking approach to the issue, you will find that the admirers of Imam al-Khumayni and Hassan Nasrullah, just as two examples, Imam al-Khamenei, their lovers and admirers are attached to them as a matter of confidence and as a matter of faith. Now, we part from that context, we come to the Sunni world. Why isn't there the equivalent of Imam al-Khumayni and Hassan Nasrullah in the Sunni world? Because that love, that affection between the Sunni base and those who have the power and who have the knowledge doesn't exist. Who in the Sunni world, from the bottom of their heart and from the depths of their thoughts, has an affinity with the king in Saudi Arabia? Or with another ruler in the Arabian Peninsula? Or with another president or king in Asia or in Africa? Where? Do you see that? Go from the rulers to the scholars. Where are the Sunnis who admire with the same fervent approach as those who say that they are Shiites? Admire Al-Imam Al-Khumayni, Al-Imam Al-Khamenei, Hassan Nasrullah. Where? Where is the equivalent? So if we don't, and where is all the action? Is it in the Sunni world or is it in the Shi'i world? Where's all the action? The proaction is in the Shi'i world. The reaction is in the Sunni world. Why? We can't ask ourselves this question calmly, collectively, confidently. We can't ask ourselves a question like that and come and try to reach some type of conclusion. We, the Sunni context, had its ulama. Ahmed ibn Hanbal, Malik, Abu Hanifa, Al-Shafi'i, all of these were scholars, fuqaha. But these fuqaha were not well before I say this let me call let me explain something the word imam is a word that's defined by its context like many words in the Quran you can be an imam in the salah you're an imam you lead in the salah there's nothing uh, holy about this title belonging to one person. Those who think like that have to outgrow their tradition. The word imam can be used in a positive sense and it could be used in a negative sense. 
in the positive sense, there's a local imam, there's a masjid imam, there's a community imam, there's a regional imam, and there is the optimum imam. That maximalist imam is what we are speaking about. And imam can be used also in a negative. There could be destructive leaders. وَجَعَلْنَا مِنْهُمْ أَئِمَّةً يَهْدُونَ إِلَى النَّارِ the ayah in the Quran says, out of them we had imams that lead to the fire. So let's break through this sectarianism and begin to understand. It's very hard for some people to understand what I'm going to say. So when we come to the imam that has decision-making, social, political, military decision-making in his hand, al-Shafi'i was not one of them. Malik was not one of them. Ahmad ibn Hanbal was not one of them. Abu Hanifa was not one of them. And the rest of these were not one of them. Why? And some, and the Umawi Abbasi, etc. regimes, they wanted to place these honorifics on the ulama these were ulama these were fuqaha al-shafi'i abu hanifa malik etc etc and there were hundreds of others by the way these are the four major ones that have lived through the rubric of power until we have what we have today but those who were in power used these individuals and clamped on them the honorific of imam and they were imams but they were not in the social military political ideological sense of the word this is going to be quite difficult for some people to digest it's all right work with, with us we will work with you so the muslims had their opposition Unfortunately, much of this opposition now is pigeonholed with sectarianism. It's stereotyped with sectarianism. Imam al-Husayn, in his position against the tyranny of Bani Umayyah, has become a sectarian figure to many Muslims, whether they are Sunnis or whether they are Shi'is. They can't liberate Imam al-Husayn from sectarianism. That's a task that still has to be done. Abdullah ibn Zubayr, with his differences and ups and he fought against the Umawi establishment until he was killed. Six hundred of the Sahaba and 3,000 of the Tabi'een were opposed to Bani Umayyah in the battle of Al-Harra. Where does this register in the Sunni mind? Where does it register? Sulaiman ibn Sarad who took a position against Bani Umayyah to revenge the tragedy of an Imam al Hussein also belongs to this opposition. 
There were thousands of others. The, the names that are usually mentioned are names like Al-Hassan al-Basri, Saeed ibn Jubayr. These are names that most people mention them. But they mention them as floating figures. No substantial position when it comes to what they thought about the Umawis. They were against Al-Hajjaj, one of these rulers, Umawi rulers. And they did whatever they could do at that time, but this doesn't live on in today's memory, in today's Sunni world memory. The same can be said about Muhammad and Nafs al-Zakiyya, Ibrahim, Al-Imam Zaid. All of these were against what we find today. Today's world, we have Saudi Arabia, we have these regimes and these dynasties. Well, this is a continuation of those regimes and those dynasties. If you can't see it then, you can't see it now. If you can't see it now, you can't see it then. And if you can't see it then and now, I don't know where you're living. I know, brothers and sisters, it's hot. But let me end this first khutbah with this remark. Pay close attention. The Prophet of Allah, sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa sallam, and the muhajireen who were with them, this is how much language can destroy issues. The pro- and I'll explain. The Prophet was a muhajir from Mecca to Al-Madina. The mushriks in Mecca expelled him and forced the other committed Muslims with him out of Mecca. They forced them first to Al-Habasha. Then the Prophet went to a Ta'if. Then they finally went to Al-Madinah, where there was a base of support. These are called in our Islamic vocabulary, Al-Muhajireen. We shift our attention from Mecca and the Prophet over 1400 years ago to our generation, our time. The Palestinians have been expelled, forced to leave their land, and they are scattered all around. No one calls them Muhajireen. No one. So there's a disconnect between our history and our present. What do they call Palestinians today? They call them refugees. No one, with the same token, no one calls the Prophet and those who were with him who were expelled from Mecca refugees. No one. That's how much we don't understand our own history and our own selves. Today's argument is Palestinians are not going to be given the citizenship of the countries, Muslim countries, a Palestinian 
cannot become an Egyptian, cannot become a Jordanian, cannot become a Syrian, cannot become a Lebanese, or any of the other countries from there off. Can't. Why? What's the logic behind the ask? Why is that? They say, because if they become citizens of another country, the Palestinian issue is going to die. Take this logic, this understanding to the time of the Prophet. The Prophet and the Muhajireen should have remained non-citizens in Al-Madinah. So that the issue of liberating Mecca does not die. And we know that logic is, is not logic. It's not what happened. So what's happening here? What's happening is we don't understand our history. We don't understand our present. We don't understand our predecessors. We don't understand ourselves. Is there anything wrong with taking a hard look at this? The issue that 20 odd years it took for the Prophet to return to Mecca was an issue of displacement. The issue today of the Palestinians is an issue of displacement. And when the Prophet was confronting the Mushrikeen of Mecca, the Yahud were exposed because they were in support of the Mushrikeen. And now, the second chapter is being written when the Muslims in their drive to resettle the Palestinians in their homeland are is going and it is in our time beginning to show us the mushrikeen of the Arabian Peninsula. I'm using Islamic terminology. I could use reactionaries, I could use subordinates, I can use agents or whatever. But these rulers in the Arabian Peninsula now, they are beginning to show their true color as they are in support of Yahud. 1400 years ago, Yahud was clandestinely supporting them. Today, they are clandestinely supporting Bani Israel. أقول قولي هذا وأستغفر الله لي ولكم ودعوه سبحانه وأنتم على يقين بالإجابة وتوبوا إلى الله إن الله تواب رحيم الحمد لله بجميع المحامد على جميع النعم وصلى الله وسلم على المبعوث خيرا ورحمة وهدى لكافة الأمم محمد النبي الأمي وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم Dear committed Muslims أيها المؤمنون المسجد الأقصى now is off limits to the Muslims The Israelis have put metal detectors at the entrances to المسجد الأقصى and Muslims who want to go and pray inside the masjid are going to have to pass through these metal detectors. 
The trigger for this was last week, 10 days ago or so, whatever it was, three Palestinians executed a military, what they consider to be a military operation against two guards at Al-Masjid Al-Aqsa. That was the trigger for all of this. What is not said is behind the scenes, the Arabian regimes, they have washed their hands of the Palestinian issue. And that gives the Israeli colonists in Palestine the momentum to do what they are doing. There's been emotional outbursts in different parts of the Muslim world against what's happening. Add to that, the Israelis have imposed a regulation that says anyone under 50 years of age, even if they wanted to enter Al-Masjid Al-Aqsa through these metal detectors, are not allowed to enter Al-Masjid Al-Aqsa through these metal detectors. And in the past week, the Muslims in front of Al-Masjid Al-Aqsa have been praying just like us, outside the Masjid. You see, they, they did this 34 and some years ago. They, they've been exposed. We don't know whether the Muslims in Palestine are going to have the stamina to continue that position of principle and opposition that they've demonstrated in the past week or so. An Israeli minister says, Al-Aqsa now is under our sovereignty. And we don't care what the Jordanian king is saying. There were some statements by the Jordanian king that the Masjid al-Aqsa should be open to all Muslims and those metal detectors should not be there. So he says, oh, we don't care what you say. And the chairman in the Israeli Knesset of the Committee on Security and Foreign Affairs said, we reiterate that we will not permit Al-Masjid Al-Aqsa to become another Mecca or Medina exclusively for Muslims. Here are statements that are on the record. And who is behind all of this? That atrophying regime in the Arabian Peninsula. You begin to see now if you are concerned with this issue, more on social media of the vices and fallacies of Beni Saud. Making its rounds in the social media in the past week was a Saudi Amir belonging to the royal family who was hitting, physically abusing, insulting verbally others who are Yemenis and maybe lower-class Saudis. It's not very clear from the video, but the language is clear. I will just one mention, I will mention only one word. He said to 
whoever he's abusing. He said, Ya Qahba. In the Arabic language, this would translate in English as, You bitch. This is, Are these awliya amr al-Muslimin? They call the king of Saudi Arabia, Waliyu amrina. And then the king got incensed. This was brought to his attention. He said, Arrest him. And they arrested him, one of their own. Because what he did was on camera. If it wasn't on camera and if the whole world didn't see it, they get away with it. And they get away with many of these types of things. The Saudi Arabians now are beginning to expel those they consider illegal. Imagine, in Mecca, in the land of the Prophet, you call a human being illegal? If we only knew our own history, Ibrahim والسلام, was illegal everywhere until he came to Mecca. Mecca and illegality are contradictory words. It's an oxymoron. But that's what they're doing. And one of the news items concentrated on the Ethiopians. There's mass deportations now. It's been going on for the past few months of Ethiopians. And this is done under a policy in Saudi Arabia known as a nation without violations. Like the Ethiopians are violating the Saudis in their presence there. They're given, once they are caught, they're given 90 days to leave. 111,000 Ethiopians have agreed to leave. 45,000 of them have actually left. And that is, many of them also remain stranded. And that's out of a number of what they tell us is 400,000 illegal Ethiopians in the in Saudi Arabia. Forget about the other places. In Saudi Arabia, what? How do they work? They're domestic workers who face widespread abuse. They are raped and beaten and starved. Can you call these rulers in that land awliya umur al-Muslimin? Since 2013 and 14, tens of thousands of what they call illegals have been deported. And how many would you say are illegals? We're using their word. There's no human being who's illegal. But this is what they call them. Is this a shara'i word? Where do they get this from? Is it a shara'i word? Is it in the sunnah? It is, it is, is it in the Quran? But they tell us there is five million illegals in Saudi Arabia. Brace yourself for the coming months. The United Arab Emirates, another one of these cozy regimes with the Israelis. News is just coming out that their officials have met with Netanyahu going back to 2012, five years ago in New York and with the foreign minister at that time and after that Sepi Levni they met in secret they had to go 
to one of the hotels in New York to the garage and then from the garage take a special elevator to meet with them. All of this was behind the scenes. No one knew about it. Now, because of the tribal conflict, information is beginning to leak. Even the, their ambassador here, who's the new Bandar, the Emirates ambassador, Al-Utayba, the new Bandar in town, he was invited to attend Netanyahu's speech in the Congress. Remember when the Zionist head honcho received 29 standing ovations from the members of Congress of this country? And now we come to what the Israelis are doing to support what is called the Syrian opposition. 4,000 Syrian injured were treated by the Israelis. The Israelis gave them 55 tons of clothes, winter clothes. They gave them 12 tons of footwear. They gave them two medical clinics, 250 tons of food, 465,000 liters of fuel. And now the Israelis they don't learn from history. They're intoxicated with power. They're trying to establish a corridor sanitaire, a safe zone in southern Syria made up of Syrian refugees. They tried to do that in Lebanon and they failed. And just recently, all of these issues, if we don't visit these issues with our thinking Muslim mind, They'll continue to get away with this stuff. Kuwait, in the past day or two, expelled Iranian diplomats. The Iranian ambassador, it closed the cultural and military attaches, and it reduced the number of diplomats from 19 to 4. I guess the Kuwaitis, who tried to be indifferent to the tribal warfare between Qatar and the other four has given up on its neutrality and now is siding with the Saudis because they were probably reminded remember when Saddam kicked you out of Kuwait who brought you back so who are you now to try to be neutral in this affair a Kuwaiti one of the ruling one of the members of the ruling family received a sentence from their courts he's to be put behind bars for three years what's his crime he criticized the government in kuwait it's a crime in that country to criticize the government we can go on and on we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to open our minds and hearts, to understand our responsibilities, and to bring along with our understanding those who have been victimized by ignorance and by hypocrisy. Allahumma arina al-haqqa haqqan warzuqna tiba'a, wa arina al-baatila baatilan warzuqna ijtinaba, wa la taj'alhu multabisan alayna. وَجْعَلْنَا لِلْمُتَّقِينَ إِمَامًا 
اللهم اهدنا فيمن هديت وعافنا فيمن عافيت وتولنا فيمن توليت وبارك لنا فيما أعطيت وقنا شر ما قضيت فإنك تقضي ولا يقضى عليك وإنه لا يذل من واليت ولا يعز من عاديت تباركت ربنا وتعاليت فلك الحمد على ما قضيت نستغفرك ونتوب إليك وصلى الله على محمد وآل محمد بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم والعصر إن الإنسان لفي خسر إلا الذين آمنوا وعملوا الصالحات وتواصوا بالحق وتواصوا بالصبر ومن أظلم ممن منع مساجد الله أن يذكر فيها اسمه وسعى في خرابها أولئك ما كان لهم أن يدخلوها إلا خائفين لهم في الدنيا خزي ولهم في الآخرة عذاب عظيم إن الله يأمركم أن تؤدوا الأمانات إلى أهلها وإذا حكمتم بين الناس أن تحكموا بالعدل إن الله نعما يعظكم به إن الله كان سميعا بصيرا ولذكر الله أكبر والله يعلم ما تصنعون وأقم الصلاة